I promise these uh, first words were not written about Northern Ireland. Long as I remember, the rain's been coming down. Clouds of mystery pouring, confusion on the ground. Good men through the ages trying to find the sun. And I wonder, still I wonder, who'll stop the rain? Good men through the ages trying to find the sun. And I wonder, still I wonder, who'll stop the rain? I know some of you get a little uh, frustrated when I quote musicians, but uh, I don't quote musicians, I quote words. And as I've been pondering uh, this sermon on the sacraments in general, but specifically the Lord's Supper, these words have been spinning around in my car as I've been traveling around. For me, as a 16-year-old, rock music was without question my God or idol. The Beatles and what they said seemed to be making some sense. And yet it didn't really. As Laurie Norman, the Christian singer, once sang, the Beatles said, all you need is love. And then they broke up very, very quickly afterwards. I realized that stiff little fingers from this very city shouted and screamed during punk that we needed an alternative Ulster. But just as quickly as the Beatles broke up, they headed off to London. Rock music gave me all the questions that I needed to ask in my life. But it wasn't until I discovered Jesus that I started to get some answers. I found somebody who could do what John Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater Revival was singing about in our opening quotation, someone who would stop the rain and make sense of the confusion. As I've uh, been preparing this sermon, I'm thinking on Wednesday night, keep it quiet because we're hoping people will go, but on Wednesday night I'm doing the main bit of uh, uh, the moderator's rally with the help of Philip Orr and Tim McGowan and various others because I thought I need to get others in because if it's just me there would literally be nobody coming. So if you can keep that quiet, but as I've been thinking about that, we're looking at the transformation of culture. And so for a little period of time over the last number of days, I've had on the same page of my laptop, today, the Lord's Supper, and next Wednesday, the transformation of culture. And there were moments when I was jotting down notes as I do to start off my thinking, when both were blending, and I was thinking, could something about the liturgy blend with something so culturally transformative? And as I jotted things down, I realized that that was proper. That what we're going to do in these next moments around this table have cultural transformative impact or should have. It's at this table that we answer the question, Who'll stop the rain? Who will bring us truth? Where will we find some direction in our lostness? Where is our hope? This table declares the answer. In a book that 
Gary Burnett gave me last, or well, tipped off for me last summer to go and read uh, Jesus Wants to Save Christians by Rob Bell and Don Golden. They write this. Every revolution needs a spark, an icon to capture people's attention, an event that overcomes the despair and the atrophy that years of oppression create. And whatever it is, whatever event or figure or symbol sends the people over the edge into a new future, the image becomes the defining memory of the good that has just begun. People need a catalyst, a symbol, a picture of what freedom will look like. Otherwise, they might keep quiet. They might continue to tolerate the old regime. They might just keep making bricks. We all need a catalyst, a symbol, a picture of what freedom will look like. Otherwise, we might keep quiet. We might continue to tolerate the old regime. We might just keep making bricks. This making of bricks takes us back to Barry's reading. The Passover, the children of Israel, the people of God in Egypt. They needed a catalyst. They needed a spark. They needed a revolution. Something that would bring them out of their quiet, something that would help them no longer tolerate the old regime but seek their freedom Something that might stop them just making bricks. Something that would stop the rain and give them something new. The Passover is very clearly linked with what we're going to gather around a little bit later. When I wanted to think about the Passover, not to embarrass him, I went to Desi's book, From Eden to the New Jerusalem. And there's three things that Desi says in his book, actually starting, he's in Revelation when he goes back to the Lamb and the Passover and all that kind of stuff. But he says three things that happened in this Passover that we read or we had in the reading that Barry gave us. The slaying of the Lamb for the atonement of the sins of the people. The smearing of the blood on the doorpost as the purification of the people. And then the eating of the meat, which was intrinsic to the whole act, which was about the sanctification of the people. Big words, I know, but we're Fitzroy. Atonement, purification, sanctification, and the slaying of the lamb in the Passover. Doesn't take as many jumps to get to that amazing moment that I've always said if I had a DeLorean I would like to go back to. We're there in the desert, they're all waiting to be baptized and, and John the Baptist standing there and Jesus appears out in the horizon and he looks across at Jesus coming across the horizon to a people steeped in this iconic story of Passover, of the lamb slain and the blood on the doorposts, eating and partaking. And as Jesus walks across the desert, he looks at him and he says to those around him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Colossians 1, which is my text for Wednesday night that I read as we welcomed you to Fitzroy this morning. Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn 
do you get the firstborn image again of the Passover? Suddenly we realize that as Jesus shares a Passover meal with his disciples, in that moment there's another catalyst memory about to happen. This is an exodus, a catalyst, a symbol, a picture of what freedom will look like. Otherwise, we might stay quiet. We might tolerate the world around us. We might just keep making bricks. But this is a Passover story, an Exodus story, a freedom story, a rain-stopping story. Scott McKnight, in his book, The King Jesus Gospel, where he takes um, some of the faults of our evangelical recent history where we have almost just confined the gospel down to a salvation culture. He says, no, 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 no. This is a much bigger culture. This is a gospel culture that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation, which hasn't ended yet because we're still living part of that story. In that book, he talks about the other stories that are going on around us, the other stories going around in our society, the stories of individualism, the stories of consumerism, the stories of nationalism, of moral relativism, of scientific naturalism, of new age, of postmodern tribalism, of salvation by therapyism. In the midst of all the stories going on around us, on our televisions, on our internet, in our magazines, all these stories that go on around us, McKnight says we need to, to be countered by the gospel story. And when he asks how we do that, he says two things baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism where we die out of the old regime and we're raised into a new freedom and exodus as we burst through the waters. And then the Lord's Supper of which he says this. Jesus tells us that the last supper was about ingesting his blood in his body. And doing so it was participation in the saving and liberating significance of his story as completing Israel's Passover story. We can build a gospel culture if we emphasize baptism and Eucharist as the counter stories to the cultural stories that flood the internet and the media every day. In those acts, we embody the story of Israel coming to completion in the saving story of Jesus. Baptism and the Lord's Supper dull Presbyterian sacraments that we go through as some rite of passage or some habit every month to remind us of something? No. These are stories and events that sing back to the 1960s hippies who were looking for somebody to stop the rain or the 2013 new atheists, nihilists, hedonists, or whatever else who are trying to find the sun and we say these stories change things. They transform, they rescue, they redeem, they are revolutionary. N.T. Wright says, In the bread and wine of the Eucharist, as in the sacrament of baptism, the past and the future come to meet in the present. God's filling of all creation, like the grapes the children of Israel ate in the wilderness, anticipates our being strengthened through the Eucharist by the presence and life of Jesus. Not just to defeat evil in our lives, 
but also so that we can shine God's light into the world. And immediately, N.T. Wright's quote takes us back to that verse in Isaiah 49 about the children of Israel that Rahab somehow become part, became part of the story of. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Baptism and the Lord's Supper is not just for me, not just for us who've gathered this morning. These stories are stories that need to be taken as light to the nations. It's God's breaking in, changing how it was, stopping the rain. Ultimately then, Tom Wright goes on, what is the Eucharist? It is a narrative like baptism. It is a story. It's God's story. It's the world's story. It's Israel's story. It's Jesus' story. And it's our story. Liturgy matters, and the liturgy has to tell that story. So that's why we come once a month to this table. For those who are wondering why we're looking at this, we're actually not just looking at it because it's communion uh, the first Sunday of the month in Fitzroy, and I don't do a sermon on the Lord's table every first Sunday of the month. We're going through a little bit of a series that asks ourselves, what goes on in the liturgy that we go through every Sunday? And I hope we're beginning to realize that there's more goes on than goes on in the sermon. We're coming out of a book by Jamie Smith that looks at the cardia, that which grabs our hearts, the Irish would call the gra, which I don't think we have a word that just grasps enough. We all need to learn a bit more Irish than my complete Irish, which is almost just gra. It's a word that says that something within us is passionate, that lives for something. That moment when you're doing something and you just know you want to be doing it, it's what makes your life important. It gives you that sense of liturgy should be something that challenges the shopping and the sports mall to grab our gro or our cardia. And so baptism and the Lord's table they should be the most important, perhaps the biggest thing, the most visual thing that will seep into our lives if they're done right in order that we would get this grow. I couldn't help thinking this week that um, Jamie Smith uses the shopping mall and the shopping mall for me is gone. You just, there's no CD shops left and that's all I'm going shopping for. Um, it used to be that I could go shopping and say, I'll just nip over here while other things are being shopped for in the family, if you understand, my wife and now two daughters can leave you just loitering outside the woman's clothing department changing room a little longer than you feel is right for a minister. Go and see Father Ted lost in the laundry department if you want to know how we feel. <laughs> but I couldn't help thinking that actually <clears throat> this might be an illustration that now they're talking about, because now I shop online and I find it very dull, I find it very unexciting. There was nothing like, there was nothing like finding that secondhand CD shop and getting the fingers of love just flicking through those CDs to see something that you might not have seen before or that might be a bargain or that whatever else, the anticipation of it, the hopefulness of it, and then finding something and thinking, wow, 
I can actually tell you now, but it would only make myself sicker and sadder of some of those vinyl pieces of vinyl that I found that still excite me to think, I found that night on Botanic Avenue. And every time I lift it, I think of the moment that I discovered it. Not quite the same when you download it. I don't even know whether I did download it or not, to be quite honest at times. And maybe it's like they're now thinking we need shops that we are able to kind of do a half and half thing where you can do it online, but you need to get to the shop or be in the shop because there's something as they're not about being with the product, touching the product, trying the product on or whatever it might be that we need because we're material human people as well as spiritual people. And so our belief has to be more than just words that somebody who's learning every day and only learns every day how much more he has to learn sharing his ideas with you. There has to be something much more tangible than that. And so we have baptism and we have this bread and this wine that gives us an action as well as just the thought of it or the words of it. These sacraments are so vitally important as we need to have our social imaginings brought alive, made special. So what's my brief conclusions? Well, first, as I've gone on about in this entire series, service, the service on a Sunday morning is far, far more than the sermon. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This act on a monthly basis is also what I would call our monthly mission. I look around at most of you, most of you, and I see people who have been soundly saved for many years. I'm not going to insult your intelligence on a Sunday morning by every week saying, turn or burn. So some might say, we're not evangelistic enough in Fitzroy. Once a month, once a month, we come to this table. The cross of Jesus is central and right before us. Once a month, we are as evangelistic as it's possible for humanity to get because this is what Jesus has given us to remind us of what is central to all that is taught and sung and prayed for in Fitzroy. It's this table. It's this rescue. We cannot come but by the broken body and the shed blood of the Jesus in whom everything holds together. This is our monthly mission address. It's also, and I love that idea that Desi brought out in his book about how the participation and the eating of it was part of the whole deal. Now, we know it's not because we take this bread or we drink this wine that we become saved or Christians or into the family of God. Of course, we don't think that. It's those things that happened before the atonement of the lamb being slain and the purification of the blood of the lamb. But God has something in his Passover and in his Lord's Supper that says to us that sanctification, something mysteriously happens at these moments of bread and wine that can nurture us in our becoming obedient and holy to him. It's a sanctifying drink station on the marathon race that is the journey of faith. It's a mission rally. It's a sanctifying, energy-giving station to sanctification. And it's a trampoline into mission. It's a trampoline into mission. 
we run down towards this table. Well, we don't because we're Presbyterians and we might need to look at that actually. I think um, if you want to talk to me, honestly, I don't want to tell the congregation this, but uh, especially on assembly week, but individual cups, why do we think this is individualistic? Why do we think this is only for me? Because we take it out of an individual cup. Not the way Jesus did it. You didn't see him on that night just reaching out and saying, I've got a wee plate of uh, tray here, over here, and I'll give you it all individually. There was a cup, and that was part of the theology of it. And more frightening than that, it was not diluted grape juice. Does nothing. It is useless. Wine, on the other hand, wine, on the other hand, is an amazing symbol for the blood of Jesus Christ. So just try and forgive us our sins as we forgive them who come up with this. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, what we're saying here is that we run down towards this and it doesn't end when we take the bread and the wine because it is a trampoline out into Monday morning, into our offices, into our streets, to wherever we might go in the next week, because this is what sends us out to be missional. Back to Rob Bell and Don Golden in their book, How to Save Christians. The church is a living Eucharist because followers of Jesus are living Eucharists, allowing her body to be broken and poured out for the healing of the world. As Jesus is broken and poured out for us, So we come and he says, follow me. And we as a congregation, we as the church of Christ, we, yes, as individuals, ask that we would be broken, that we would be poured out for the salvation of the world, for the mission of the world. When I, at the AGM, what I call my chapter of pulling everything in that I believe church is about a verse that I didn't use that night from 2 Corinthians 4 and 12, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. We come to this table and we consume the death of Jesus to make us alive as we carry his death and his resurrection into the week that is. So who will stop the rain. In Isaiah, God says to him, when he's confessed his sins and his sin has been atoned for, his guilt has been taken away, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Who'll stop the rain? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. As we come to the foot of the cross, as we gather around this table, as we find that atonement, that purification, and that sanctification, God says to us this morning, who'll stop the rain? Who'll go out those doors and into a world for us, the Trinity? Who will follow? Who will be light to the nations? And as we gather around this table in these next moments, We're not going to have a song or music as we take the elements. We're going to wrestle with that. What's God saying to us? What's God asking of us? What's he challenging us to do? Not what we'd like to do because Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He prayed that it might be taken from him. 
Coming to this cross is not an easy thing. It's given up the regime that says everything for me. My rights. What makes me happy? That's the making of the bricks. This table takes us into the heart of Jesus. Into the heart of being a servant. And then asks, who'll go for us? Who will we send? Will you follow me? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this table in a moment or two, may we know the depth of your love and your grace and your mercy for us. As we take this bread and wine in a moment or two, may it disturb us out of our regime that we would no longer be quiet or just go about making bricks. Would you bury us in Christ's death? Would you help us to break through the regime into resurrection and new life? Will you give us in our cardia a deep, passionate, gruff desire to be light to the nations? May these next moments not be just what we do. May they be sanctifying moments that energize us on our road to mission. In Christ's name, amen.